right, well, good evening, friends. Okay, that wasn't really okay. Hopefully, it will be better tomorrow night when I mention that. Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're in Exodus chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles, we're in Exodus chapter 3. Nothing's, nothing's changed. Hey, guys, um, just kind of introduce a little bit of myself. My name is Brian. I, I grew up going to a Christian school my whole life. Anybody else that Christian school your whole life? Christian, your whole life. I mean, kindergarten through where you are now. Anybody? Yep, I did kindergarten through my master's program. Everything was Christian school. And so I, I, kind, of, uh, I kind of feel like I can relate with, maybe some of you might feel like this, where the Bible has become a textbook. Jesus has become a subject to study so you can get the grade. Because you get the grade, you get to go to the college that you want to go to. You get to the college, you get the job that you want. You also find the spouse that you want. And then the life is perfect after that, right? And if you don't get the grade, then none of that happens and you die a hermit. And so I, I get it. I understand like the pressure that some of you guys feel. But guys, I still remember when I was 17, as a high school kid, the summer before my senior year at Ponderosa Chapel, uh, third row back where the, the, uh, the pews angle, is when I stood up to make my own decision for Jesus. And my, my senior year of high school was different because Jesus was starting to become the most important thing in my life. You say, well, wasn't he already? And we say, was starting to become. Guys, it's still a, it, was, it was a process. Guys, I'm convinced that we as Christians, the number one thing, the thing that God wants the most from us, do you know what it is? The, the first and greatest commandment is to what? Yes, passionate, yes, yeah, to love the Lord your God with everything you got. But do we even mention that anymore? It's kind of like, I feel like sometimes it's skipped over. Sometimes it might just be do the things that God says, be obedient, be on a mission, reach people for Jesus. But the first and greatest thing is to love God. But in order to love God, we have to have an understanding of who he is. And this is where I think that maybe... If you're anything like I was in high school, God became a little less impressive the more I got used to him. And so I'm hoping that tonight uh, things will open up a little bit. And, and realize this is for students and staff members and teachers and administrators and whoever else is from the school. I know that I'm always, when I'm sitting there listening to people teach, I, I want to learn. And so my goal, is that, my goal is that God would work in all of us. And so could we pray together? Would you mind? Let's pray together, and we're going to jump in to, to, our, to our time of the Word tonight. Father, we pause before we speak to you, for you are God. It is so very easy for us to jump into a list of things that we want you to do instead of stopping to listen, that maybe you'll actually convey to us what you want to do. And so we want to submit ourselves, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we want to submit ourselves to what it is that you want to do. We want to open ourselves up to what you want to say. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would keep us teachable and humble to receive especially on passages where I feel like maybe a lot of us have heard these things. Reveal truth, God. Reveal your truth and transform us, convict us, and encourage us whatever is necessary to make us look like Jesus. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. So he's about 80, and he's just sitting there watching sheep in a desert. Where are the seniors in the house? Where are the seniors? Do you guys feel this pressure that by 
like this year, because you're going to get ready. If you're gonna, if you're going to go to college, you have, you have to know what your your major is going to be before you graduate, right? You have to you have to declare it. So there's all this pressure on you about, man, you need to know what you're going to do for the rest of your life now. And so you said, I go, how do how do I understand it? Like, what if God doesn't give it to me right now? Guys, I love this passage and I love this part of Moses' life because here he's 80. And it's when he's 80 that God conveys to him, hey, this is what you're really going to do. But it's the first 40 years that we look at Moses' life that prepared him. The next 40 years also prepared him. Two different, two different 40-year periods. That first 40 years is Moses, remember as a baby, he's, throwing a, he's, he's putting a basket and he's pushed down the Nile River. And, and then all of a sudden, one of Pharaoh's daughters comes out and sees him and, and takes him. Why? Because every Israelite baby boy was supposed to be killed. I mean, Pharaoh made this thing because the Israelite people were becoming so numerous. He just says, okay, anytime a baby boy is born from the Israelites, I want you to kill it and pass it on to the midwives that when it happens, kill the baby. Isn't it amazing that thousands of years later, that really hasn't changed for some people. So just kill the baby. And so Moses' parents try to hide him until all of a sudden they can't really keep him quiet anymore. And then to hopefully protect him, and I, don't know how, I don't know that I would have come up with this plan, but it's kind of like, if we stick him in a basket and put him down the river, he'll be fine. Like, I didn't understand how that really came about, like the winning, like the winning choice, but it worked out. And so the next 40 years, Moses got to live in royalty. And there was one day when he's looking and he sees this Egyptian taskmaster beating one of the Israelites. And he comes to the defense of the Israelite and, and kills the Egyptian slave master and buries his body. The next day, he sees two Israelites that are fighting among one another. And he says, brothers, why are you fighting? And one looks and says, well, who, who made you ruler over us? Are you going to kill us like you did the guy yesterday? And then Moses was terrified. And word got back to Pharaoh what Moses had done. And Moses took off. And he's at 40, he starts this life. Guys, think about it. You go from royalty to hanging out in a desert. You got a wife and a kid, and, and you're just watching sheep all day, every day. Any, any shepherds in here? Yep, me either. I have no clue. Like, I don't know. Uh, the things I've read about sheep is they're not the smartest animals. Uh, I, I've heard this. This was years ago that sheep will actually keep eating. If you don't stop them, they'll keep eating until their stomachs explode. I don't know if that's true, but that just sounds like the greatest way to die. No, I'm just joking. But it's like, like, like just so dumb. You, can, you have to guide them everywhere. You have to protect them from everything. I mean, think about it. They're the, they're the animals that we get our clothes from, but they have no way to protect themselves at all. They're just walking lunch, right? For predators, they're just walking lunch. And so here's Moses for 40 years doing the same thing. Been there, done that over and over and over and over. And follower of Jesus, just at a show of hands, how many have been brought up in the church? Pretty much your whole life. Here's the thing. You ever notice that every message a pastor gives, it ends the same way? Every story. Like David and Goliath, David always wins. There's no point in sitting there going, oh, I didn't know that's how it ended. Unless you've never read it. Noah, he makes it through the flood? I didn't know that. Jesus comes back from the dead. Every story ends the same way. You're told, hey, you should read the Bible, right? You'd have a quiet time, spend time with God in the Word. My question to you, has anyone ever shown you how to? Or just that you should? Because how many of you guys are like, I'm going to read it this year. 
And you start, like any other book, you start in Genesis. You're sitting there, I got this. In the beginning, there's a murder in chapter four. Oh my gosh, okay. It's kind of interesting. Then you get to Leviticus, you're like, I'm done. I'm done. I don't even care. There's a lot of bloodshed. There's a lot of offering sacrifices. I don't even, I don't get it. Numbers, I don't care how many people there are. I don't care. And you're done. You're supposed to do these things because that's what good Christians do. Or what if God all of a sudden does a work in the next couple days that we're all together where you want to spend time in the word because you actually want to love him more? Like you want to spend time because you want to know him. Guys, you ever gotten that text message or that message or email or whatever, whatever you use when you're reading stuff from that certain someone? You know that certain someone I'm not going to mention and maybe they're here and you're sitting there going, I know I sat next to him and I worked it all out so I could sit on the bus next to him because I know we're going to get married. Like, this is the one. No, it's not. But I don't know. Just keep thinking through it like that. But say, like, hang in there. <laughs> but if you get that little message, you read every single thing, right? You read, I mean, you read it more than once. You're checking the dot to see if it's a heart. You're all in. Why? Because it's someone that you care about who wrote you something. Guys, do you realize that God spent 1,500 years penning this book that we might know him? That we might know our plight, our problem, our rebellion against God. His remedy is his, is his son. Guys, it's in the Bible that he teaches us all these things about who he is and what he thinks of us. 1,500 years, three different continents, three different languages, 40 different authors. Guys, no one has ever written you something like that. Guys, I think the problem is we look at the Bible going, I have to read this to be a Christian. No, no, we get to read this because we love Christ. Guys, I remember years ago, I was sitting in the college chapel, and one of the guys preached and said, hey, if you got to heaven and Jesus wasn't there, would you be bummed? Now, answer the question, not out loud, but maybe to yourself. All that heaven's going to be. Guys, it's going to be sick. Not like sick. You know what I mean. Okay, so it's not, it's not going to be, it's, it's going to be incredible. Guys, I think there's colors we've never seen before. We're never going to die. No more school shootings. No more cancer. Anyone thankful for that especially? Has anyone gotten that news? A friend or family when they said, I have cancer, or maybe you've had to struggle with it. Guys, there's no more pain or sorrow. It's joy. I believe that every single person that we meet, it says, the first time we meet, it's like we've been friends for eternity. There's this depth. No more insecurity, <gasps> right? Is anybody else th who struggles with insecurity, right? And now you're worried if you raise your hand correctly. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, was it too high? Was my pit sweaty? Like, what the heck happened? Is this too much? And I think we get to fly. You're like, prove it. Well, friends, we're going to meet Jesus in the air. How do you get to him? I don't think we're going to jump on shuttles. I think we just take off and fly. Guys, with everything, and then this is the part I don't get. People go, it's paved with streets of gold. Oh, like who cares? Like, what, are you going to steal a brick? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like, does it really matter what the, what the street's made of? There's a big pearly white gate. Oh, great. We all get a mansion. I don't know where he got that concept. I know there's a room that has been made for me, but I don't know that I want, to, want a mansion because you have to clean the mansion. 
But then you're like, we're in heaven. You don't have to do it. It's always clean. Oh, you win. Good job. So imagine all that heaven is. And this is, I mean, that's just a small little thing. But if Jesus wasn't there, would you be bummed? I remember sitting there in that chapel and I thought, I'd be bummed for a little bit, but I still get the stuff, right? Like, I still get all the stuff. And I wonder if that's how we kind of treat God today. Like, I'll follow God, but if I do, I still get all of his blessings, right? And we have to pull back and ask, am I a worshiper of God? Or do I just want his stuff? Do I have an understanding of who God is? Or have I just made him up in my mind so that I'm comfortable with who he is? See, Moses is going to be confronted with who God is here in chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, most scholars, when you get to that part in verse 2, and it says the angel of the Lord, not every time, but most scholars at this point would say that this is Jesus pre-incarnate. It's what's called a theophany. That Jesus pre-incarnate, pre-Christmas, that he shows up, and in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not, is not burned. Now, here's the thing. This is why I think that Moses is a little bored. If something, if like a bush is on fire, would you sit there and go, I just got to see it? I don't know if I'd move closer. I would just look and go, oh, it's on fire. But when it's not burning, maybe I'd be a little bit intrigued. Verse 4, when the, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, it said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place in which you stand is holy ground. That's weird. He just stops, hey, take, your, take off your shoes. <laughs> you ever stop and thought, why? Like, why, why, out of everything that Moses could do in this moment, why take off your shoes? But I wonder if it's this. What if God just needed him to stop? He said, hey, I need you to stop treating me like I'm common, like everything else. I am holy. And approach me that way. Friends, I think that we maybe as, maybe as a church in our nation, we've kind of come to this conclusion like, oh, Jesus is my homeboy. Friends, you realize angelic beings look at us and say, what are you talking about? Like if you could see what we see, there's no way that you just sit there and flippantly approach him. Guys, they have been screaming since they were created, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's out of Isaiah chapter six. It's the seraphim. The seraphim are the angels that are on fire and they like it. Guys, if something is on fire going, yeah, this is it, run. These things have got to be terrifying. And, just, and the way that it's worse, like one is screaming, holy, 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 and the other one screams louder, trying to outdo one another. Angelic beings have been surrounding Jesus in constant worship and praise just because of who he is. Yeah, sometimes I think that we find ourselves what? We get a little bored, right? It's like, well, I've done that. See, I do that and nothing changes. But what if the purpose of worship is not that we always get something out of it, but that we bless Jesus? What if it's about him? It's supposed, isn't that what worship's supposed to be? 
Then maybe we come together in worship gatherings not to get the 14 steps to the perfect life, but we come together in worship gatherings to just give praise to the God who has done so much for us. What if, what if we had this glimpse of who he is? He's standing on holy ground. So my question to you, my next one is, have you gotten used to God? I use these stats all the time, almost every camp that I go to, almost every year that I come here. And I'm sure that there's some science teachers in here. You sit and go, I'm going to check you on this. That, please do and tell me if I'm wrong. But I'm not the smartest hack in the box, but I can read. And there's some things that stand out to me. I don't understand all the complexities, but I'm also thankful that no scientist does either. Well, there's this thing called the cosmological argument. The cosmological argument is this, that at some point, time, matter, and space began. That time, matter, and space is not eternal. It's not always been. So at one moment in time, time was created. Time, matter, and space was created. And according to the scientists that don't want us to have, don't want us to have anything to do with God, they want to make you think that nothing absolutely nothing created something. And some say, it could happen. What? Guys, I've, I've, I've had this, not this deep of a conversation, but five-year-olds, like, yeah, God's, like, supposedly, scientists are saying so everything started from nothing. They're like, that doesn't make sense. That makes no sense. And I'm like, explain. It just doesn't. No, it's not, doesn't make sense. And yet when we have God who says, let there be light. And light exploded out of the mouth of God at 186,000 miles per second. That God created it. That God breathed out every star that is in the universe, not just in our sky. And I don't know, you guys are, is Modesto, yes? That's okay. Okay, so I'm Southern Cal. We have like four stars Four, and like one of them is like blinking red when it goes by. <laughs> That's all we got. And one of the other ones is like Venus when it's close. That's all we got. Like you just sit there and go, oh my gosh, look at it. It's so beautiful. It's blinking red. You know what's that one? That's Southwest. <laughs> oh, oh, that's it. So it's not just the stars that are in our sky. Psalm 33, it says, out of, his, out of the breath of God came all the starry hosts. That means when God exhaled, the sun popped out. Guys, that's what happens when God breathes. We breathe, people back up. Because we got stank coming out of our face. But God breathes, the sun pops out. Guys, we are 93 million miles away from the sun. The closest that we can get to the exhale of God is 93 miles, any cl- 93 million miles, any closer and we would die. You can fit 1.3 million earths inside the sun. And he said, and all he did was, let there be. Guys, our Milky Way galaxy is one of hundreds of billions of galaxies in the known universe. And our Milky Way galaxy is kind of like a flat pancake. To go from one end to the other takes about 120,000 light years. That means you go 186,000 miles per second for 120,000 years, and you'll get from one end to the other. Our Milky Way galaxy has about 350 billion stars in it, and all the hundreds of billions of galaxies that are out there have hundreds of billions of stars in each of them. And God, the Bible says that God knows all of the stars by name. He placed them exactly where he wanted them. Guys, you ever wonder what a star is? You're like, twinkle, twinkle. <laughs> Little star, how I wonder what you are. 
It's a fireball that will melt your face off. I mean, these things are terrifying. And we just think, no, he just poked a hole in the sky to make light come through. Guys, do you realize, I think about 120,000 light years just in our Milky Way galaxy, and there's hundreds of billion galaxies, and the Bible says that God measures the universe with the span of his hand. And our sun that fits 1.3 million Earths inside of us, a small one, it's a small star. Guys, they found, they, I, don't know, I don't know how they do this, I have no clue, but they found one called Canis Majoris. You know what Canis Majoris means? Guys, this is the sweetest name of a star. It's the big dog. That's literally what it's, the big dog star. Guys, you can fit seven quadrillion Earths inside this star. I don't even understand that, the concept of that number. That number's huge. Guys, when I look at that, and I go, good night. And then you look at our little Earth. And right now, we're spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. Do you feel it? You do. <laughs> you need medication. Okay, so 1,000 miles an hour. As, as we're going to 1,000 miles an hour, we're going around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour. And while all that's happening, we're going 1,000 miles an hour spinning. We're going on the sun at 66,000 miles an hour. The sun and the nine planets. Yes, I say nine. I don't say eight. Pluto, put them back in. The nine planets are going around the nucleus of, the, of, the, of our Milky Way galaxy at what? 540,000 miles an hour. What makes you think that you're in control of anything? We're just hoping we don't crash. And isn't it amazing that maybe for some of you, he's not going, Brian, we're all Christians. Okay. Guys, I went to Christian school. Going to Christian school doesn't make you a Christian. It's just like walking into McDonald's doesn't turn you into a Big Mac. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> isn't it amazing that for some of you, you actually have the nerve to look at God and to question how good he does his job or how well he does his job, and you can't even keep your room clean. I don't understand it. Like, we're so, we're so sure we could do better. Guys, the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Guys, you realize that our earth weighs 13 septillion, 176 tillion pounds. I have no clue how they weighed it. I have, no, I have no clue. I just think, let's just, let's just make it big. We've got to make, so uh, what are septillion and sextillions? Tell all you math studs, you're going to know this. I didn't. Here's how it goes. Millions, billions, trillions, quadrillions, quintillions, sextillions, septillions. So 13 septillion, 176 trillion. I have no clue. What the, I think it's the national debt, but I don't, I'm just joking. <laughs> but I, I don't understand it. But here's this planet weighing 13 septillion pounds that is traveling that fast, and then everything in it. Guys, you realize, I don't even know whose job this was. The caterpillar has 228 distinct muscles on its head. Just its head. That is the worst job ever. <laughs> Who had to count that my day? I'm going to go in the record books. One, two... What if somebody bumps him at 222? What the crud? One, two. Tomatoes. Did you know there's dozens of different types of tomatoes? I thought there were two. Like organic, non-organic. That's all I knew. So long as they make it on In-N-Out burgers or Chick-fil-A sandwiches, that's all I care. 
Or bananas, there's hundreds of different types of bananas. I thought there were two, same kinds. Guys, you ever thought about a zebra, just for fun? It's like, nah, probably not. But here's the thing. Did you know that when a baby zebra is born, the mama zebra takes baby zebra away from the rest of the herd? Is that what you call them? It's not a flock. I guess it's a herd, herd of zebras. Take them away from them for, I don't know, for an extended amount of time. Do you know why? So that the baby, of course, I don't know, I don't know how they come up with the concepts. They, they say this. So that the baby zebra can memorize the mama's stripes, which makes sense. Because can you imagine you pop out as baby zebra and you look around, mom, (laughs) you go walking up to one zebra, mom, I'm a guy, no. Okay, mom, mom. Or what about a hippo? You ever look at a hippo and thought, what were you thinking, God? Like, what is that? Has anyone ever played Hungry, Hungry Hippo? Remember the, remember the game? I love it. Oh, I mean, wait, not on your phone, not an app, like the real thing. Guys, that's how, <laughs> that's how much we struggled to find fun things back in the day. It's like, guys, I've got this great idea for a game. Get hippo heads. I'm with you. Come on. You get four hippo heads, different colors. Okay, okay. Different color marbles that go with that. Okay, I see where you're going with this. Marbles. Here's a game. Boom, you just start smacking it. Heads go out like this constantly. Whoever gets the most marbles, colors, wins. Oh, it's going to make billions. Guys, do you know that more people are mauled by hippos every year than by lions? Mauled to death by hippos. And you know why? Because we think that it's a game. (laughs) Hungry, hungry hippo. (laughs) Guys, you know, there's over 60 different species of eagles. The grip strength of an eagle is 10 times stronger than a human. The eyesight of an eagle is eight times greater than a human's. That an eagle from two miles away can see a rabbit and go lunch. From two miles. It's not like, all oh, the rabbit's got a chance. From two miles, the, the eagle's going, there it is. And then, guys, our bodies, right now, your body has about 75 trillion cells in it, give or take. Each one of those, well, think about it, 75 trillion cells, and every three seconds, 50,000 cells are dying out and being replaced by 50,000 new ones. Every three seconds. You're not even thinking about it. It's just happening. And then each of those cells is this thing called DNA. It's kind of like the blueprint of who you are. How tall you would be, male or female, color hair, <laughs> if any, <laughs> color of eyes, sense of humor, lack of, intelligence, it's like abilities, sports, like athletic abilities, theater, performance, all these things, artistic, all the God's like, Drrr. guys, if I take the DNA strand out of one of my cells and stretch it out, it's six feet long. If I take all the DNA out of my, each of my cells in my body, and I tie it end to end. That is enough DNA to go from here to the moon and back 178,000 times. Guys, you have 100,000 miles worth of blood vessels in your body. That is enough blood vessels to go around the earth four times. 
And so when the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, you are. Guys, do you realize that our eyes see at 526 megapixels? And isn't it amazing? It's like, guys, did you get the new iPhone, the iPhone 47 or whatever it is? Guys, did you hear about the camera? It has like 16 cameras on the back now. The whole back is a camera. That's all it, like you can't think of it. It's like, it's not, is it any faster? I don't know, it's just got more cameras, more lenses because we're all professional photographers. What's the megapixel? Oh, it's like 35, 40, 50, 60 megapixels. And God's like, that's cute. Isn't it amazing that we need engineers to put together a camera that has 60 megapixel camera, or a 60 megapixel camera, but we don't think that there's a God who put together our bodies that said, I'm going to make sure that your eyes see at 526 megapixels. It somehow just happened. And then your brains. Guys, your brain has about 100 billion neurons, like little lightning bolt transmitter receiver processors. Each neuron fires about 200 times per second. Each neuron connects to about 1,000 other neurons. 100, or, sorry, 100 billion neurons times 200 firings per second times 1,000 connections each equals 20 quadrillion bits of information are transmitted in your brain every second. That's what's happening constantly. And then you pull back even further and go, oh my gosh, what else has he done? Guys, not only do all, do all that, but he's the one that created the concept of music, beauty, color. Has anyone ever seen a sunrise? I was going to say sunrise. Do you ever get up that early? Do you ever get, see a sunrise and just go, what the? Or how about a sunset? And you go, my goodness gracious. Well, you must because that's when everyone takes the picture and posts it and it's amazing sunset. Then all of a sudden, people that don't like God, that doesn't prove there's God. <laughs> Guys, you realize that God is the one who created knowledge and music and art and time and wisdom and humor and laughter. He created joy. Guys, isn't it fun to laugh? You ever laugh so hard you thought your stomach was going to explode? Doesn't it, isn't it weird like you, it hurts, but you want it to keep going? Like, seriously, it feels like an alien's getting ready to pop out. And you're just like, come on, do it more. Do more. <laughs> Have you ever been in mixed company? So guys and girls hanging out, and all of a sudden, you're just laughing like crazy. And guys, ladies, i got to tell you, if ever, <laughs> if ever you say something like this, okay, stop. Stop or I'm going to pee my pants. Every guy is over here sitting going, challenge accepted. <laughs> Whatever it takes, she's going home in wet pants. That's just how it's going to happen tonight. Friends, think about it. Have we dumbed down God to make him more comfortable to us so that maybe we don't have to submit to anything greater than us? Have we dumbed him down because we prefer to be God? Guys, remember that God is infinite in being and perfection. He is unchangeable. He's immeasurable. 
He's holy, immense, just, eternal, awesome, sovereign, incomprehensible, almighty, most absolute, most loving, patient, righteous, ruler, savior, most gracious, most merciful, forgiving, beautiful, terrifying, long-suffering, majestic and glorious, divine, abundant in goodness and truth, compassionate, just, quick to forgive, punishes sin, all-powerful, all-knowing, great, good, most holy, most wise, most free, and God is truth. Do you get that? Do we understand this? And so when Moses comes to look at this bush that's burning but not, and the quote-unquote angel of the Lord speaks and says, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. Guys, friends, is it too much to ask us to do the same? That when we approach him, we realize, okay, I'm not just approaching someone who's like me. He is so different than I am. Friends, honestly, if we walk out and maybe somebody said to go, I don't know how to pray to that God. Good. I think it starts there. Because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. To have this fear of its Proverbs chapter 1, I think it's verse 7, verse 8, somewhere around there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But guys, when we start to get it, okay, he's immense, he's beyond, we might actually pray audacious prayers that are as big as he is. And we might actually be able to live this life with less, with less worry because we trust him who can do anything. Back to verse 6. He says, and I am the, Lord, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down. Guys, there's a, there's a few things in here. There's at least four things in, in verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8 that stand out. I have surely seen the afflictions. Maybe for some of you, like you're going through something, and you're like, nobody notices, and you've prayed, and nothing's changed, and it's been a long time. You're like, does God even care? You said, I go, no one, no one would ever say that. Yes, you should. Be honest. But how can I be honest? Like, where do you get the freedom? Guys, look at the Psalms. You know, David's saying, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I have to wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? And maybe for some of you, you just feel like you're just going through it. And maybe you need to hear this. When God said, I have surely seen your affliction. He knows that he sees it. He says, and I've heard their cry. You ever prayed and just felt like it bounced off the ceiling and came back and hit you in the face? Like, did it go anywhere? You ever prayed and they still died? Are we getting too personal? You ever prayed and the relationship still ended? You ever prayed and instead of getting better, they got worse? And you sit and go, doesn't he care? I mean, is God just not listening? then maybe I just need to remind you from the word. You say, well, this is how I feel. And guys, I get that. And I'm not going to downplay our feelings. We have these thoughts and feelings that come up. I get that. 
But once our feelings become the basis by which we judge everything, all of society breaks loose and goes into chaos. Guys, our feelings aren't completely reliable. Has anyone had this thought or feeling pop in your head and later on you thanked God that you did not act out on it? Absolutely. But here's the thing. You say, this is how I'm feeling. But what does the word of God say? God sees and God hears everything. Why doesn't he? And here's the thing. I can't answer every why. I probably can't answer most why questions. Well, how long? I don't know. I don't know. I know for the people of Israel, for 400 years, they're in slavery. Can you imagine if you're born in year 38 and all you know for your whole life is slavery? Why didn't God come through? Guys, I don't know how to answer the why questions a lot of times. But what I do know is this. From what the word of God says and the walk that God has gone on with me, he is great and he is good and I can trust him in his timing. If you've ever asked God how long and he hasn't answered, maybe you should thank him because he knows that you wouldn't like the answer. Because in Jeremiah, he has, Jeremiah has to tell the people, hey, in 70 years, this whole captivity thing is going to last for 70 years. And maybe for you, God's sitting there going, you just can't handle the how long answer yet. He says, I've seen it. I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings. I know their sufferings. But it's that last part. And I have come down. I have come down. Friends, I want, if you want to, I'm going to spoil it. Guys, the whole Exodus story and what God did for the people of Israel so connects to what it is that Jesus did for us. That we can apply the same thing. He has seen our affliction. He's heard our cry. He knows our sufferings. And Jesus did what? He came down. Guys, it's amazing when you put the connections together. He says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all the ites. And verse 9, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to him, who am I? Like, I can't do this. Who am I that, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? That's, he said, God said, watch. Verse 12, you have your Bibles open. He said, but I'll be with you. Follower of Jesus, does that do anything for you anymore? Like the one who measures the universe with the span of his hand. The one who's outside of time and yet somehow lives inside of time with us. The God, the God who spoke everything into existence, spoke light at 186,000 miles per second. The God who's all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect. That God says, I'll be with you. I got you. I've used this story a bunch. Growing up, my dad was a cop. 
And when I was about 10, I got to go to work with him for the first time. And man, when you're 10, you get to go on a ride along with your dad, you're like, man, I'm amazing. Man, I'm just jacked. I was like this scrawny little tiny kid. Just look at me. It's like, Dad, do I get a vest? Because I'm going into some, do I get a gun? Like, I'm, I'm, like in my mind, I thought partner. And so he, he didn't give me a gun or a vest. I'm like, Mom is going to be so mad. I need a vest. And can you imagine me putting one on? It would look like a skirt. It would just be all hanging. And so we get in the car, we're driving around. And, and I knew his number, the call number that he had. And every time I heard, I get excited. And, and so I remember we were pulling cars over because they're going too fast. And my dad was pretty lenient. It's like, unless they're going over 15 miles an hour over the speed limit, he wouldn't pull them over. And I'm like, really? He let me use the radar gun. I felt like Chewbacca. Because this massive thing when you're 10, you're like, bam, it's one over, Dad. Get him. Shoot him. It's like, that's, how, that's as a 10 year like, that's what you're supposed to do. Go get him. So I remember it was later on, and, and I hear his number, and it's with a couple other uh, cops that are called, and it's a bar fight. And I'm like, <gasps> bar fight? We're going to a bar fight. Oh, my gosh. Just don't tell Mom. Go, go, go. And he's driving super fast. And in my head, I thought, I'm going in. Partner. Partner. So he pulls in. The other cop's pulling in, and he goes, stay here. I'm like, oh. Mm-mm. No, I'm coming. He goes, stay here, don't you move. And he closed the door and locks me in. I'm like, oh. I, I felt like a puppy going, uh-uh. Oh. <laughs> they go in and they bring some guy out and he's cuffed and they put him in the back seat of the car. And my dad says, stay here. And I'm in the front. I'm not in the back, but I'm in the front. And he says, stay here. And he locks me in again with the, with the guy. And I know there's a cage there. I know, I get that. I know it's there, but I, the big, tough 10-year-old is sitting there terrified. Because he's breathing. I can feel it on my neck. And all I picture is X-Men, like coming through the cage and just chomping on my jugular. That's what I pictured. He didn't say he's just, and so he come, my dad comes back and the bar fight's over and I can't see any of it. I'm just having some dude breathe on my neck. Dad gets in the car, and all of a sudden, the guy starts to talk to me. I'm not saying a word. And my dad goes, don't you dare talk to my son. And I'm like, yeah, you want some of this? And I got, like, I got big in bed. I was like, you want some? Come on. It wasn't because I was big and bad. It's because my dad was. Any people, any gun enthusiasts? Guys, his duty weapon was a six-inch 357 Magnum. Guys, six-inch barrel, three, this thing's like a cannon. That's my dad. And I'm like, you want, you want some of this? Get him. You know why I got all bold? Because I knew dad had my back. Followers of Jesus, you know that we can walk in confidence? Because we know that dad's got our back. Friends, He's not trying to figure things out. He's unfolding his plan. He says, I'll be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. In other words, when we are successful, you'll know that I was telling the truth. Moses said, if I come to the people in Israel and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent you to me. And they ask, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. In other words, I will be who I will be. That's a weird name. Except maybe it means this. We don't get to dictate who he is. 
or dictate what he does. God is who he is, and he does what he wants. Nothing, no one controls him, and yet God will respond to us in prayer. My question to you is, have you become used to God because it's more comfortable that he be small? Or do you follow a God who's limitless in power, limitless in ability? For those that are just going through it, as the worship team, you all can come back up. Maybe you're sitting there going, Brian, if you knew what I was going through, are you telling me that I've been going through whatever that is for so long? What is God telling me? I think he's telling you this. I am. I am what? I'm able. I'm here. I'm real. I'm with you. Guys, when we get who he is, and then we get that that God desires relationship with us, not just distant, but personal, personal and intimate relationship with us, and did everything necessary in order to make that happen, friends, there is no other world religion on the planet that comes close to expressing that truth. God is massive and terrifying and gracious and loving and forgiving and just and has wrath and perfect and is wild and crazy about us. You want proof? We're going to talk about it more tomorrow night. But the proof that it's true is the cross. God took that because he wanted us. He wanted to make the way possible. Do we get him? Do we worship him in a manner of who he is? Worthy of who he is? Friends, he is huge. He is the I am. He is who he is, and he will do what he wants. He's going to go, oh, can I trust him? Oh, you can trust him. He is so great, and he is so good. Can I pray for us? And after I pray, can we go back into a time where we sing to Jesus in a manner worthy of Jesus? And maybe somebody said, going, I, just, I don't feel it, Brian. Here's the thing. I, be honest in it. I've heard someone say, hey, fake it till you make it. I don't, I don't think I want you to fake it till you make it. I want you to be honest. But what if you said this? What if you said, God, would you help me worship you? Maybe you don't know Christ. Well, I hope that your mind's kind of going a little bit. Because you were created for him. But what if we worship him in a manner worthy of him? And for some, that means you're going to need to sit on your, like sit in your seat, head down, hands up. You might need to kneel. You might need to stand. You might need to just say nothing or scream out. I don't know what it is. But worship in a manner worthy of him. Let's pray. God, you're awesome. I love the fact you initiated everything with Moses. You initiated it. You started it. You came to him. You called him by name. And then you invited him to something bigger than him. But it all started with you introducing yourself to him. And thank you, God, that if I speak personally, you came for me. You spoke to me. Others in the room who are followers of Jesus, you did the same thing for them. You called. And they surrendered. 
So God, I pray that as we, as we do the same thing that angelic beings and saints who have gone before us are doing right now, that we would do it in a manner worthy of who you are, every single one of us in the room, because Jesus, you're worthy. So God, in this time, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor, for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.